welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. So glad you're here. We've been, as uh, Chris said, in a series called Empowered by the Spirit. Actually, I think it was Joe that said it. Um, And thus far in our series, we have considered uh, the personality and the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we took a sweep through the Old Testament, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We noted that he was uh, one of the prime movers in the in creation, we saw his ministry in terms of convicting and striving with people regarding sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And we looked at the fact that he is the one who charismatically enables the people of God. This morning, I want to move into the New Testament and look at the way that he moves in terms of his manifestations in and through the believing community. So we are going to consider the manifestations of the Spirit as they are lifted, uh, as they are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just want to say to you, for those of you who are, you know, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, um, this, is v- this will be very, very basic for you. But for those of you who are new, uh, you know, and there are a number of, uh, among us, it, it, it will be new material for you. So uh, just for those of you who have been around a while, if you'd cut me a bit of slack and, and uh, lean in with me and pray, pray for me and pray that it would be a blessing to those to whom it is new. Um, years and years ago, you know, when we came into the charismatic realm, we used to um, just simply call the manifestations of the Spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 2. We just used to call them the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm not opposed to that language per se, but I think perhaps over the years, our thinking and our study of the gifts of the Godhead and of the gifts of the Holy Spirit have become somewhat more nuanced and a little more sophisticated. In the early days, we used to make pretty much only two distinctions. We would talk about natural gifts, and we imagined that we possessed these by virtue of birth and or training. We didn't really see these as supernatural in any way. Unbelievers possessed them as well as believers, and they could include things like musical ability or perhaps athletic prowess or entrepreneurial gifts. Um, we, We didn't see them as particularly spiritual. In terms of them fitting into the Christian experience, our answer was, when you get saved, dedicate them to God. At At your conversion, you give all that you are, including your natural gifts by birth or by training, you give them to the Lord, and he may or may not choose to use them in his service. So natural gifts, then we said, well, then there are supernatural gifts. And at least in the spheres I moved in, we tended to limit those to the manifestations of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we're going to consider. Again, you know, I'm not too troubled with that as a division. I do think it's a bit simplistic. And as I say, over the years, as we've learnt more about the gifts of the Godhead and the gifts of the Spirit, I think our thinking has become a little more nuanced than that. The English word gift uh, in our New Testament translations is the translation of a number of different Greek words. I suspect the fact that there are a number of different Greek words actually are meant to portray slightly different meanings. And so in beginning this morning, what I want to do is just share with you a number of those Greek words. 
and give you some idea of perhaps what they might mean. Um, it does deserve more study. I'm going to be very, very superficial in the comments that I make. Um, I have studied this in times past, but we don't have time to really go into it in depth this morning. Uh, the distinctions that I'm going to give you in terms of these words are clear for the purpose of analysis, but actually in reality, a couple of them anyway, interlap and interplay with one another. They're perhaps more like the colors of the rainbow in the sense that it's difficult to know where one stops and the other, the other starts. But let's have a look at a couple of Greek words. I'll give you some idea of what they, they mean, and then we'll focus in more on the manifestations of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One Greek word that's translated by our English word gift is the word doria. Now, this word is used exclusively to refer to a gift that is actually a divine person. So, for example, in John chapter 4 and verse 10, it's used to describe the gift of the Father in giving the Son. And Jesus, talking to the woman at Samaria, said, if you knew the gift of God, the doria of God, and he's speaking about his own life, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and he would have given you living water. So that gift refers to the divine person of the Son. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it's used to describe the divine gift that is the person of the Holy Spirit. This is not his gifts, but this is the gift of his person, where Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These gifts, the gift of the Son and the gift of the Spirit, are the gifts of the Godhead. The Son, Isaiah chapter 48 verse 16, says, The Lord God and His Spirit sent me. So the Son is sent by the members of the Godhead. And in the same way, the Spirit is sent by the Father and poured out through the Son. So these are the gifts of the Godhead, and they are to whosoever will come. Whoever will come can receive the Son. Whoever will can receive the Holy Spirit. This is a gift that is a divine person. There's another Greek word, doma, and it's used in Ephesians chapter 4 verses, uh, through the verses 8 to 12, where it talks about Christ ascending to heaven and giving gifts to men, and then it outlines those gifts as apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. This gift is also the gift of a person, not a divine person, uh, but, but we talk about offices or ministry gifts. This is the gift of a person. Though these persons have gifts, plural, the doma is the gift of a gifted called person. They are divine appointments of Christ to his church. The point of these gifts isn't some kind of exclusive club where these people are lifted into places that are more prestigious or, or, or have more status than anybody else. They are appointed to that office as they are given by Christ as gifts to the church for the purpose of service. They are given so that the people of God come into the fullness of their calling and inheritance. So there's Doria, the divine gift. There's Doma, the gift of gifted people to the body of Christ. Then there's another word that you'll be very familiar with. It's the word charisma. Um, Goodspeed translates the word charisma by endowments. The Living Bible has special abilities. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 6, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, have a list of these charisma gifts, and they include things like prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, hospitality. And I think there are good reasons to probably include other things in the list of the charisma gifts that aren't found in those two passages. Now, Sometimes you will hear people teach on this, and I've, I've taught on this, and they call these particular gifts motivational gifts or sometimes creational gifts. I think these are the gifts that we in the past looked at and said, oh, they're natural gifts or that's a personality type. And we, we didn't assume that God had given them at all. I think the scripture teaches that God weaves us together creatively and into each person. There are, if you like, motivational gifts. There are gifts that he gives that for all the world look like a personality type perhaps or perhaps just a natural gifting. I think they're God-given. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, What do you have that you didn't receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? All that you have, you know, that perhaps gift in terms of musical ability, that gift that you have in the entrepreneurial field that just whatever you touch turns to, turns to gold, as it were, that gift that you have of hospitality and service, it's not just a matter of birth and training. It's something that God gives the charisma gifts of the Holy Spirit. People can and do use those gifts and talents and endowments in purely selfish ways, advancing their own causes. In, in one sense, they prostitute that gift. They use it for purposes that it was never intended for. Because those gifts are in effect God-given, people will stand accountable before God for the use or misuse of them. When I said before, I think there's a close link between these things, this charisma gifting and the next one that I'm going to outline, I think, um, flow together very easily. Sometimes the way God has wired you personality-wise, creational gifts or motivational gifts make you very prone to move in particular manifestations of the Spirit, worth thinking about. But um, the next category that I want to talk about is, is a, another word. It's the Greek word phanerosis. And this is the word that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, where it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Literally, that word means an expression or an exhibition of the Holy Spirit. The Latin word that's used to translate the Greek word is a fascinating word. It literally means the dancing hand of God, where God comes on somebody, touches them, there's an exhibition or an expression of his life and power through them, and then he lifts and moves and, and can just dance from person to person. Years ago, I think we used to imagine that these manifestations of the Holy Spirit were somehow resident within us. And I know this sounds bizarre and a bit perverted, but people literally used to say, well, I have the gift of tongues, I have the gift of prophecy, I have the gift of healing, and I have, um, I, I've seen miracles, so I guess I have the gift of miracles. And we used to sort of compile a list of the gifts that we have. I don't think like that any longer. I don't imagine that we are actually accumulators of these expressions of the Spirit. And perhaps with the exception of the gift of tongues, they actually don't reside in us. They flow through us in a moment. 
There is an exhibition of the Spirit. There is an expression of the Spirit in a moment through a, a, a submitted believer, and we simply deliver them. We are the channels. They can flow through any submitted expectant believer. It doesn't really matter what motivational gift or how you are wired. It doesn't really matter what particular office you have or, or even don't have. There will be times in every believer's life when the Holy Spirit wants to express himself in and through you. And the, these manifestations are, are then what transpires. It's really interesting that as you look in the original language, uh, it bears out and brings out the idea of these gift distinctions. Gifts that are given by the Father and the Son, the motivational gifts, the, the doma gifts, the offices, are described in a verb form that we call the aorist tense. Now, the aorist tense describes something that happened in the past that has ongoing implications or effects. So these gifts are given in the past, but the effects are ongoing. For example, an apostolic gift, a doma gift, is given to the body of Christ, and by virtue of that, given, given, that gift given at that moment, the ongoing implications of the apostolic function bless the life of the church. When it comes to the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're described in another way, with another verb form, the present active tense, which has the idea of something being given in a moment, and then given in another moment, and then given in another moment. Not given once for all with ongoing effects, but given and given and then given again, that dancing hand of God that comes upon believers that are both submitted and, and expectant. They come when they're needed, and we simply deliver them. It's the matter of the Holy Spirit expressing himself through yielded believers as the moment requires. So with that as a little bit of a background, that the fact that you know, when you talk about gifts, it's a little more nuanced than just natural gifts and supernatural gifts, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just go through these this dancing hand of God, these manifestations of the Spirit that we can as believers expect in given moments. Reading from verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As you look at that passage, the very first thing that Paul wants to talk to us about when he's talking about these manifestations of the Spirit is this matter of ignorance. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. The Greek word is agnoeo, and it can be taken one of two ways. 
It can be taken an ignorance that comes from simply not having any information. Like as in, nobody told me. I, I didn't know. I've never heard of this before. So Paul is speaking to that and saying, you know, if you've never heard, let me tell you. But he's also speaking to another aspect of that word, which means I can ignore through disinclination. That means, yeah, I've heard about this before, but you know what? Not interested, don't want to know about it. So there are those who don't know by virtue of no information. There are those who know, but for some reason are disinclined to pursue that. And Paul says, I don't want you to be like this. In the case of the Corinthians, by the way, their ignorance didn't have to do with information. They, they actually knew about the gifts, they were functioning in them, but there was a disorder to the way that they were functioning. And Paul says, your ignorance actually results from an improper use. When you come into today's world, I think there are sections of the church that would say, you know, we, we didn't know. We'd never heard of this. For years and years, I went to church and I didn't know. I'd never actually heard anyone talk about this. Um, and so when people started to, it was kind of like all new information for me. I think there are probably more nowadays who would say, yeah, I've heard of them, but we don't want anything to do with them. That disinclination is often theologically motivated. Many people have come from backgrounds where the theological school that they subscribed to by virtue of church attendance um, was some form of cessationism, which goes like this. The gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit were once valid, but they aren't valid any longer. We don't need them anymore. We have the scriptures is generally how that goes. I believe that's wrong-headed on a number of counts. Firstly, it ignores the testimony of church fathers and of church history. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit clearly did not stop when the scripture was um, canonized. There, were, there are recorded incidents of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit down through church history. The, the church fathers particularly, I could quote any number of them. I'd pick one from Arrhenius, who was Bishop of Lyon. And he said this, wherefore also those who are in truth his disciples receiving grace from him, so in his name perform miracles so as to promote the welfare of other men according to the gift each one has received from him. For some do certainly and truly drive out devils so that those who have been thus cleansed from evil spirits frequently join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still hear the sick by laying hands on their heads and they are made whole. This is after the apostolic age and this bishop is talking about what's going on in his parish. There are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Just a superficial reading of church history reveals that in revivals and awakenings throughout church history, that they have been often accompanied by various manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They clearly did not cease. Secondly, that idea of cessationism ignores the contemporary reports of God's movings. Anywhere you look in our world today where you see the church growing in leaps and bounds, you'll find the manifestations of the Holy Spirit front and center. Chris just mentioned before Nepal, and um, please you know, follow through on his exhortation to pray for that nation. But uh, Nepal is one of the fastest growing um, regions of the world in terms of church context. Uh, somebody told me relatively recently that it's the fastest growing outside of China. 
And one of the things that you hear about as you talk with Nepalis who have come to Christ is the number who come to Christ as a result of healings or miracles. An incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit in that nation, followed by or accompanied with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. To say that this has ceased is to ignore what's going on in China, what's going on in Africa, what's going on in Latin America and Asia in what is termed the global south. In the global south where the church is growing at an incredibly fast rate, Pentecostal phenomena are front and center. Thirdly, and most importantly, that idea of cessationism misconstrues the scriptures in my view. The Bible does not teach us to expect the cessation of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think without a prior commitment to that position, you would never read the Scriptures and come up with that idea. You read the Scriptures without that prior disposition, and you read Scriptures like Paul saying, don't forbid speaking in tongues. I wish that you would all be a prophetic people. I thank God, he says, that I speak in tongues more than you all. You read Mark chapter 16, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Listen, if you hadn't been taught that these things had been somehow supposed to have stopped, you would never arrive at that reading the New Testament. The plain reading of the New Testament is to believe that these things follow Christians. Now, I know that you can turn the Scriptures around and make them say pretty much whatever you want them to say, but history, present experience, and the plain reading of Scripture, I think, would lead an unbiased believer to expect that these manifestations should be part of an ongoing believer's walk. So the first thing Paul says is don't be ignorant concerning these things. If you don't have information, get it. If you're disinclined, then maybe review your position because it, in my view, isn't a biblical one. He then goes straight on to talk about another significant issue that actually stops many people, and it's the issue of fear. People were obviously saying, but if I speak in tongues, how do I know that I'm not cursing God? And, and for those of you who've been around, you've heard that question as well. I've had it addressed to me many times over the years. How do I know that, for example, when I'm speaking in tongues, it isn't some form of deception? How do I know that I'm not cursing God? And they'll tell you some anecdotal story of somebody who apparently cursed God when they were speaking in tongues. Paul says, listen, don't be panicked by that. Fear has always been an instrument that's been used by the enemy to stop people entering into their God-given inheritance. Some people have more ability in the devil's, more faith in the ability of the devil to deceive them than they have in God's ability to preserve them for his purposes. It's, it's silly. Jesus spoke to this. In Luke 11, he said, If a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he asks a fish. Will he for a fish give him a serpent? If he asks an egg, will he offer him, uh, uh, sorry, will he offer him a scorpion? If you, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, this is, it's, it's, not that, it's not that complicated. You ask sincerely for the Holy Spirit, you are not going to you're not going to come into some false experience. You say, well, Don, that's a bit naive, isn't it? I mean, there's a counterfeit realm out there, you know. 
Yes, there is a counterfeit realm out there. What's required is discernment, not withdrawal. What's required is a wise entry into the realm, not non-participation because of fear you might get it wrong. Listen, people counterfeit money, but you don't stop using it. You simply learn the ways to discern a good note from a bad one. People often pull back and opt for ignorance because they've seen things that they, they thought smacked of fanaticism. Again, I've heard people say, you know, people who go down this road of being open to the Holy Spirit and his manifestations get weird and they draw attention to themselves. Surely that can't be right because the Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself, he draws attention to Jesus. Now listen, I've been around in Pentecostal circles to acknowledge uh, you know, the need that some people do, the, the reality that some people do get enamored and perhaps somewhat overwrought by the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but that isn't the normal or the abiding impact of his presence and his work. Don't let the abnormal dictate to you and define for you your response. It's not the abnormal, it's the normal that you look at. And the normal is that you give the Holy Spirit his proper place, you open up to him and he will lead you to love Jesus more. His main function is to magnify, to mediate and to minister Jesus. You give him place, that's where he will take you. You don't have to be frightened of being drawn off into some weird Pentecostal place where all they do is speak in tongues and prophesy so-called over one another. He will always lead you to Jesus, okay? So don't let ignorance or fear stop you entering into this realm. Those two things still stop people today. In verses seven through 10, Paul starts to outline these phanerosis, these exhibitions, these expressions or manifestations of the Spirit. And they fall very easily into three groups of three. There are nine of them. There are three that have to do with discerning or knowing. There are three that have to do with declaring or speaking. And there are three that have to do with dynamic or doing. Let's very briefly look at those groups. The three gifts of discerning are the word of wisdom, Firstly, now the word of wisdom has nothing to do with experience or maturity or being a wise person as desirable as those things may be. We should pursue being a wise person. The book of Proverbs is all about that. James exhorts us to pray for that. But this isn't what we're talking about when we talk about a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom is a supernatural impartation or expression of the Holy Spirit in a specific moment where he takes a portion of God's wisdom, gives it to a believer, and it meets a dilemma that is simply beyond their natural ability to solve. You see it, you see it happening in Jesus' ministry often. Remember the time in Matthew chapter 22 where the Pharisees had got together, crafted a question that they knew would put Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. It didn't matter which way he answered it, they had him. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? If he says yes, the Jews are gonna be angry with him. If he says no, the Romans are gonna be angry with him. Got him. So they say that to Jesus. Jesus looks at them and refuses to answer yes or no in a moment. And in what we would say in our colloquial language, a stroke of genius, Jesus takes a coin and says, whose image is on that? And they say, Caesar's. And he says, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then more profoundly and must have impacted them, you render to God what belongs to God, because he doesn't say it, but they clearly understand it. You are made in the image of God. This is about image and 
commitment to the one who's placed his image on you. And so he just very deftly pushes their question aside and with a word of wisdom speaks to their heart. I remember receiving a call late one evening and it was from a very, very distraught young woman. She was weeping and wailing and crying and she said, please, pastor, you've got to come round to my place. Um, I'm being tormented by demons. And I said, well, what's happening? Through her cries and her tears, she told me that the light was swinging around and that these sh- and shadows were leaping all over and there was no reason for it and, and she was dis- distraught. Now, b- before you laugh, if you'd have known this woman and her background, you might not simply have dismissed her claims. She came from an incredible amount of brokenness and in fact was going through a lot of demonic torment in that season. I I was obviously, it was late at night, obviously I was very, very hesitant about going round to her place at that hour and I knew that I'd have to disturb somebody else to come with me to accompany me. And as I am, you know, listening to her, trying to be sympathetic and, uh, you know, honestly, unenthusiastically contemplating such a call out without any thought that I was previously conscious of, I found myself asking her an incredibly unusual question. The question surprised me. And I said, is there a heater under your light? She obviously wasn't particularly impressed with my spirituality or discernment either. And she said, what on earth has that got to do with anything? I'm being tormented here and you're going on about heaters, you know? What planet are you on? I said, listen, just go and check, and, 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 and I'm trying now not to laugh, because I'm suddenly thinking, thank you, Lord. I think you've just given me a mixture. I don't know whether it's, sometimes it's hard to know. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. But anyway, I said to her, go and check. She came back, and she said, yes, there is a, a, a heater under the lamp. And I said, move the heater. And what will happen is the hot air that's coming up from the heater will stop the lamp swinging backwards and forwards, which will in turn stop the shadows dancing all over the walls. She went away, and there was silence for a while. Then she came back, and she said, "Um, it stopped. Thank you, Pastor, and hung up. (laughs) I want to tell you, that was not a moment of genius on my part. It was just one of those moments when a supernatural impartation of knowledge, wisdom, you call it what you like, came and was incredibly helpful to both her and me. The word of knowledge, as I say, sometimes it's hard to know which is which, but the word of knowledge, again, it's not a result of study that you've done, wisdom or knowledge that you've accumulated. It is a supernatural revelation of facts that are unknown or beyond the realm of your natural mind. You're made aware of something that you didn't know previously and you couldn't know by natural means. Again, you see Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 1, Nathanael's coming toward him, and Jesus starts describing this person whom he has never met. He says, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no guile. He knows something of the character of this man. He knows what he was doing. He says to Nathanael, before before you came, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, and Nathanael's blown away, and he says, "And, and you were reading Genesis chapter 28, Jacob's ladder, and he starts speaking to that. Now, there is no way Jesus could have known those things. That's what you call a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit showed Jesus those things. So, well, Don, how does that happen? Well, it might come from a thought, it might come from a feeling, it might come from a picture 
in your imagination. Sometimes it comes like that one about the heater spontaneously without any thought at all. Karen and I were talking to a couple of uh, people who'd come around to see us. There was just the four of us, and as we were engaging in conversation, I started to get a pain in my right forearm. And I thought, you know, immediately I thought, oh, what's wrong with my arm? And then, you know, I've been around long enough to know, you know, sometimes that's not my arm. And so I'm thinking, maybe one of these three have got something wrong with their arm. Now, I know Karen, and I didn't know that she had anything, and I'm down to two. And, and, but I, at the end of the conversation, I said, look, it's going to sound funny, but do either of you have trouble with your right arm? And one of them said, oh, look, I've got a plate in my right arm. The screws have come loose, and it's causing me, it's, it's, it's causing excruciating pain. And so we were able to pray and, and, and just, you know, minister and ask the Lord to heal. I, I, I didn't think it. I felt it. And sometimes that's how the word of knowledge might come. But however it comes, you suddenly get a bit of information that you could not have had any other way. There's the third gift of uh, discerning, and that's the, literally the gift of the discernment of, the, of spirits. It's the supernatural ability to see or perceive what spirit is operating in a given situation. Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it just the human spirit? Is there something a little more sinister going on? When Peter tried to talk Jesus out of the cross, when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, and Peter effectively said, Lord, pity yourself. This cannot be to you. And Jesus turned on him and said, you don't know what spirit you are. Get behind me, Satan. In that moment, he recognized that though Peter was expressing some concern, there was another spirit that was motivating that, and he saw that. This isn't, by the way, the gift of suspicion or cynicism. Okay? It's not the same thing. We, we, we don't need any supernatural help with that. It seems to me that we do that one quite well all by ourselves. This gift is a supernatural ability to perceive something. Often it will be accompanied by other gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom in terms of how you, how you use that. There are three gifts of declaring. Prophecy, the supernatural ability to receive and communicate an immediate message from God to his people or to a specific person. You'll see this in operation next Sunday with incredible effect. Tony Saxon is one of the most a remarkable prophetic gifts that Karen and I have encountered in our years of ministry. I think he's a, a doma gift. I think he's a, a, an, a gift of a gifted person who the manifestation of prophecy flows through with regularity. But you, you'll see a prophet in operation next Sunday. Prophecies aren't just limited, by the way, to foretelling the future. Prophecy includes past, present, and future. It includes hindsight, insight, foresight. Hindsight the past, insight the present, foresight the future. It is designed always to encourage and build up. Paul said it should be used for exhortation, edification, and comfort. When you've got somebody claiming to be a prophet and he comes into the church and says, there's sin in the camp, it's like, duh. I, I, could, I could tell you that in my sleep, you know? That, that's ridiculous. It doesn't take a prophet to say things like that. It doesn't take a prophet to start unpicking a character. And, and God isn't interested in unpicking people's characters. The prophetic gifts aren't fearful in the sense that you're going to be exposed. 
99% of the time, it's about exhortation, edification, and comfort. And in the 1% when it's not that, and it is exposure, it comes through one of those doma gifts, okay? It comes through one of those prophetic individuals, not just a manifestation of prophecy. It is not equivalent to Scripture. It's contra- it, it, where it's contrary to Scripture, then you disregard it. It is subject to and is to be judged by the Scripture. Another gift of declaring is the speaking in tongues. It's the God-given ability to speak in a language or languages that you have never learned and, and do not understand. It's not gibberish. It's not just something you make up. It is a language for prayer and for worship and for intercession. I've been spirit-filled for close on 40 years. There have been two occasions where I've had people come to me and say, Don, when you were speaking in tongues, I understood what you were saying. One of them, I was in the south of the Philippines. The dialect there is Cebuano. And, and apart from how much and thank you and you're welcome, I don't know any Cebuano. Okay. But this lady came to me afterwards. I'm praying for her. And, and she came and said, Don, did you, you don't speak Cebuano, do you? I said, no, I don't. She said, you prayed over me in perfect Cebuano. I said, my goodness, what did I say? And she told me what I prayed. It wasn't cursing Jesus, okay? In case you... uh, she told me what I prayed. The second occasion actually was here at Gateway. Not that long ago, I was up ministering, we were worshiping, and I had, you know, the microphone at that point in time, and we were worshiping together, and I spoke in tongues, and this woman came up to me afterwards. She's of Indian descent, and she said, look, I come from a home where my parents, the, the native tongue is Hindi. She said, I recognize what you were saying. You were speaking Hindi. Again, I said, what did I say? She said, well, I can't tell you everything because I don't speak it frequently or fluently, but, but the Hindi word for God you used with regularity. It's not gibberish. It's a language of worship and praise. You say, well, Don, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it, and I think it's weird, and so if it's weird, I'm not doing it. Listen, if you treated salvation that way, you wouldn't be saved because you didn't understand atonement fully, but you were able to receive the benefits of it. The reality is sometimes it's obedience that leads to understanding, not vice versa. This isn't, by the way, just blind obedience, throwing your intellect overboard, You can study the scriptures, you can hear the testimony of people, and they will speak to you about the desirability and the profitability of this particular gift. At the end of the day, however, there will always be, in any of the manifestations of the Spirit, an element of acknowledging your own limitation, your own finiteness, and making room for some mystery. Interpretation of tongues uh, happens when someone by supernatural revelation is able to interpret in a known language that which has been spoken publicly in an unknown language. Effectively very similar to the gift of prophecy and subject to the same guidelines. I'm nearly out of time, so I'm going to do the next three really quickly. Gifts of healings, I think, um, pretty much self-explanatory. It's always in the plural. Gifts of healings. This is when we lay hands on the sick and pray for them to recover. And the Bible says that there will be times when that's exactly what happens. And there are people in this church, just numerous people in the church who have testimony of healing in their lives or people that they've prayed for. The gift of miracles, again, self-explanatory. 
amounts to the suspending of natural processes to allow something that God intends to happen, whether it's Jesus walking on the water or speaking to the calming of the storm or multiplying the loaves and the fishes. That gift, by the way, is nearly always accompanied by the next gift, which is the gift of faith. That isn't faith that leads you to salvation. It isn't the characteristic of the Spirit in our lives that produces faithfulness. This is, in a moment of time, a supernatural impartation of God's faith to you to accomplish something special, miraculous. The cursing of the fig tree, where Jesus just speaks to it in a gift of faith. Finally, just winding up, 1 Corinthians 12 instructs us, and it says, covet earnestly the best gifts. Covet these things. It's the one time in Scripture that I know of where we're allowed to covet something. Nearly every other time we're told, don't covet this. Don't covet your neighbor's uh, bank balance. Don't cover his boat, his house, his, his job, or his spouse. But these you can cover. When you see somebody working in prophecy, as you will next week, you say, I really want to do that. It's legitimate. It's okay to say, Lord, I'd like to do that. Would you start to flow that through my life? Often I've heard people say something to the effect that, oh, you know, all of this talk of gifts get people on track. The best gift is love. And I want to go, mm. no, it's not. Love is not even a gift. Love is a fruit. Love is the context in which all of the gifts operate. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 occurs between 12 and 14. Okay? Profound, I know. <laughs> Don't play them off one against another. It's not a matter of either or. It's both and. Love is the context in which the manifestations of the Spirit should occur, but it was never intended to be a substitute for them. There's nothing more frustrating than loving something, somebody and not being able to do anything for them. You love them and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are so that you can do something for the people in, that you love. What does it mean by the best gifts? Well, you know, there isn't a list in Scripture that says, this is the best gift, and then you work your way down. Again, over the years, people have said to me, tongues is the least of the gifts. It doesn't say that. Can I suggest to you that the best gift is actually the one that you need at the moment? If a person is sick, what's the best gift? Healing. You know, if, if they're sick, you can, you, by all means, speak in tongues over them, but it's probably not going to help them that much unless you're praying for healing. The best gift for a sick person is a, heal, is a healing. The best gift for someone who's incredibly discouraged might be prophecy because it exhorts them and encourages them and builds them up. If you're perplexed and don't know how to pray, maybe the best gift is praying in tongues. The best gift is the one that you need at the moment. If you want to start moving in this dimension, can I suggest that you start by praying about it? Some people say, well, God's got my address. If he wants to flow one through me, he can, he can do it. Expectation is the springboard of faith. If you'd have taken that attitude towards salvation, you'd still be a pagan. You start posturing yourself and moving toward it. You do that with the gifts of the Spirit too. It says here, be zealous. Be zealous for these flowing through your life. Because we frankly need them. Quite frankly, we need them. Karen and I can look back over our lives, and I would say some of the most important turns that we ever made came through manifestations of the Holy Spirit, where, where we didn't know what to do. One situation where we did not know what we were supposed to do. We had 
some things happening that made us think maybe we're supposed to leave where we were, but we weren't sure. We'd prayed about it. Somebody comes to me and says, you think, you're thinking about leaving where you are. You're supposed to. No sooner had that person gone away. I mean, honestly, 30 seconds after they left me, somebody else came to me and said, you're thinking about leaving where you are. You're supposed to. A week later, somebody says, are you thinking about leaving where you are? You're supposed to. And through the prophetic gift, maybe mixed with the word of knowledge, I don't know, suddenly the confusion that surrounded us became clear. And the gifts of the Spirit made a way for us. They can make a way for you. They can make a way for somebody else through you. As we say, Lord, make me an instrument. Let this happen in and through me. We are to be an empowered people. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.